Welcome to Door Church Connect. We are so grateful for those of you that are tuning in from our local congregation, as well as those uh, from different places around the world. We really are glad that you're with us. A couple of uh, quick announcements is that today happens to be the 25th uh, birthday of the hidden person in this podcast, our (laughs) producer, Mike Howery. So I don't know if he wanted me to say that or not, but uh, he's reached the quarter century figure. And uh, he is uh, also uh, available uh, when it comes to marriage. Right, that that's is just true. That's just a side that's note. very I true. Think I that's, think, yeah, uh, that's worth noting. This is yeah. worth noting yes. and uh, bringing out. The other little thing is uh, uh, with cameras today, you may notice that there's a little scruff uh, happening on my face. It's because I had a surgical procedure uh, Friday and all of the complications and all of the uh, care uh, in response to that. I just uh, took a few days, uh, but uh, we do have, I believe, an exciting guest uh, with us today, uh, Pastor Greg Mitchell, who is the pastor of the Potter's House Church in Prescott, But more importantly, he is the overseer of our entire fellowship. Uh, He is uh, uh, my uh, pastor, and uh, I'm glad for him and exceptionally glad that he's uh, made time to come and be with us, uh, and that's why this is going to be a special time. Uh, Before we get into that, I just want to... Uh, remind you that in our progression today, we've come to, I feel, uh, the gold standard when it comes to growth and wellness and spirituality. The scripture we've been looking at in Luke 2.52, that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and in favor with man. And we want to look at that element that Jesus grew in favor with God. And this growth dynamic is so important because it tells us uh, that uh, here Jesus is. He is perfect God and perfect man who was without sin, and yet he needed to develop. And my takeaway from that is if Jesus needed to grow, maybe, uh, Gabe, uh, Greg, uh, you and I also, need uh, to grow, but he grew mentally, uh, he grew physically, he grew socially, but the one area that stands out the most in his development is that he grew spiritually. He grew in favor 
with the Lord. And each one of these areas uh, uh, contributes to people's overall wellness. Uh, and to neglect any one of these areas is to diminish uh, our lives. And so just like we talked about the mind, just like we talked about uh, the body, uh, what is my plan to train myself to be godly? If I'm going to pursue God's plan and God's destiny for my life, uh, what is my plan? Because it doesn't just happen magically. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote, uh, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, uh, to call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and uh, call it faith. And I think that all of us uh, listening, watching today, if we would be honest, uh, uh, have uh, an awareness of that reality that left to ourselves, I don't drift closer to God. I don't drift closer in my relationship uh, with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, that's where we are. And uh, in thinking about this area of spiritual development, I thought, you know, who could uh, represent that? Who could uh, be someone that people would uh, recognize and... Uh, listen to, and I couldn't think of a better example than uh, Pastor Greg Mitchell. Uh, I mentioned uh, that along with his wife, Lisa, they pastored the uh, Potter's House Church in Prescott, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot's gone on in the last year. All of us have been stretched uh, congregationally, personally. This is definitely true in uh, Greg's life, uh, but uh, in my mind, what really is a blessing and stands out is that the mantle and the succession of leadership in our fellowship has uh, come to Greg by means of calling by means of years of preparation and also by means of divine uh, anointing. And I really thought that this would be an excellent opportunity for people who maybe only see him when he's preaching to uh, get to know him a little bit uh, uh, better. I really do thank you for your willingness uh, to be here with us and a contribution to this topic of spiritual development. And so I thought I'd let uh, 
my co-host, uh, Pastor Gabe, starts, starts off today, and uh, uh, he, uh, you and he have uh, certain distinct uh, heritages. Uh, uh, I'll let him talk about that, but uh, Gabe, uh, you launch us off. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Greg, for being with us this morning. Um, I'm a PK, and you are the quintessential PK. Um, if you're not familiar with the jargon that's preacher's kid, pastor's kid, you grew up in a home where the gospel was very much the forefront of, of, of the family dynamic. But can you remember the first time that you came to faith in Christ or when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? What, what was that situation like? What, what brought you to that place? Well, I'm, as, a, as a very young boy, I'm sure that, you know, I answered altar calls at various times and, and uh, probably had revelation uh, somewhat, as, as you say. I think my parents, uh, they were already saved. I was probably two when they went into the ministry. Um, they had actually taken a break. They had already been in the ministry. Then I was, at that time, while they were... Um, not pastoring I was born so I'm I, I answered the altar calls at various times in in various settings but um, for me uh, I, I was always a rebel at heart <laughs> and uh, so because of that uh, I got involved in sin at, a, at quite a young age and uh, really absolutely rebelled really for me from 12 to 14 was when I seriously began to experiment drinking and, and drugs and, you know, I got arrested and suspended from school and uh, all kinds of problems like that. But for me, um, I, I had a, a powerful conversion when I was 14 hmm. and uh, absolutely, I, I actually had ditched the concert, which I used to do as soon as the lights were off, I would sneak out and uh, go to the skating rink. And so somebody ratted me out. And uh, so my dad was waiting for me when I got back. And so he, uh, we had a, a meeting that was a lot more painful for me than it was for him. <laughs> and uh, no, so he used to, I, I, I don't know if this is the grand master plan, but, but uh, through our lives, if, if, if we had some serious trouble, uh, part of it is we had to go to the altar. And I don't know if that was, uh, he, he had some wise master plan. And so I knew that I had to go to the altar. That was, that was part of my punishment. <laughs> and, uh, but there was wisdom in that. I'm, I'm in the concert. I'm at the back. I had a foul mouth. I was mad. People are looking at me. I was crying. And so I was, I was very upset. But while I lifted my hand, not meaning it, I did not intend to be saved. Had no intention. Hated it. And, uh, but while the the guy was still pulling I, I don't know how long it was it was as though god began to speak to me personally hmm. and i began to think of friends and and family members and where they were headed and i just said this is not working well and so by the time i went to the altar i really meant it wow and i i powerfully got saved uh you know the immediate thing was uh, knowing right from wrong i carried a lot of guilt for all my sin because I knew what I was doing and that left and I got into the car and told my dad I said I really meant it uh, and, and he was like yeah we'll see <laughs> <laughs> so 
because, uh, you know, just of the circumstances. So, yeah, when I was 14, I absolutely, I left uh, the major sins. I made a stand with my friends that I'm not going to party and carry on with them uh, anymore. So that was the fundamental uh, point at which I genuinely was converted, 14 years of age. Wow. I did not know that story. That's amazing. Vision kids, take note. Um, so you were... Your entire upbringing is involved in the ministry. I think I counted uh, in in your dad's biography from like in a 10-year period, you guys moved like five, six times. Is that mm-hmm. right? Um, so what was your initial attitude about preaching the gospel? When did you know you were called? Did you embrace it? How did that all work? No, I absolutely rejected it. When you're a pastor's kid, of course, um, my earliest memory from... Uh, may have been earlier, but definitely from we were, I was five when we moved to Prescott and dad took the church then. And my earliest memories is people would ask me, are you going to be a preacher like your daddy? And I was like, absolutely not. I complete, I hated that idea. And again, I was, I was very rebellious. I used to ask my parents, do I have to be a preacher? I thought it was like a rule. (laughs) And uh, their, their standard comment was, you can be anything you want, just stay out of prison, which, which may have been an indication of what they saw in my future, uh, the road I was headed down. So no, I absolutely had no intention, and I swore I will never, ever uh, be a preacher. I was, I was genuinely saved, had left sin, but I was very um, self-focused. I planned my life, I loved cars. And I was going to work on cars, and that was as far as I saw in life, you know. Um, Mom and Dad moved to, they told me they were moving to Australia in 1981. I was uh, 16 when they told me. And I, I only had three months of high school left, and I said, I, I have no interest in going to another country and, you know, having to adjust in school when I'm almost done. And so they wisely said, you don't have to go, but why don't you come for a visit? So I went for a visit and uh, the Perth church was powerful revival. Uh, Pastor Warner would remember just incredible favor of God. And and as soon as I I was there, um, just weeks after he did a discipleship class with the men and he had brought his study books and he did a, a, a lesson on how to study Hmm. Uh, how to put together sermons, which in my mind, that has nothing to do with me because I'm never going to be a preacher, remember? Right. And uh, just while watching at the back, just kind of looking around, God spoke to me very powerfully. I still remember it in uh, 41 Walcott Street, Mount Lawley, in the suburb of Perth, West Australia. God spoke to me and said, that's what I want you to do. Hmm. And I absolutely, something shifted from not wanting to be like my father, we got in the car and I said, I, this is what I want to be. I mm. want to be just like you. I want to preach the gospel. And so I, from that moment, I absolutely focused on uh, everything within me to, to preach. I, I genuinely reoriented my entire life, decided to move. Uh, had to come back, get a visa. And I went back and moved to Perth when I was 17. So at, at that point, I thought it was always after you met Lisa that you decided to move to Australia. Well, no, I was going to move anyway. Okay. Uh, you know, I met Lisa and she sort of begged me to marry her. But <laughs> <laughs> that's an old joke. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I was, I was gonna move, no, genuinely, there was just such a move of God. I felt what God was doing. Perth in those days, it was almost like the Jesus movement yeah. delayed. Hmm. And so it, I, I was in the Jesus movement. Remember, you know, I was five when the <laughs> church. I just and I saw it all. It just didn't. It didn't resonate. I didn't understand how powerful it was. So right. now I knew what was going on, and uh, so I said, "This is what I want to be." And, and yes, and I met Lisa, and uh, you know, immediately after that, um, you know, we began uh, our relationship, and ultimately got got married uh, very young married young and raised each other <laughs> how, how old so, were you when you got married i was 18 she was 16 and if you ask her to this day she'll say almost 17 yeah that <laughs> and i say is, it doesn't matter you're still 16 that's my testimony i was uh i was uh 23 mona was uh 17 i say and five six <laughs> uh but the only reason i ask that is that uh, i personally believe that there is value and there's a benefit and a blessing in yeah. getting married young that people today just don't uh, realize and uh yeah to grow together to learn together there uh, yeah we certainly didn't have it all together but uh that uh, is uh very similar to my experience uh, probably gabe's in a lot of ways uh and uh in that way you know we probably stand out uh, i didn't intend to talk about marriage but uh uh because people today are delaying marriage at uh you know it's seven years later the average age of a man getting married today is 27. Mm. i think uh for a girl it's that or maybe 28. and so uh, you're talking about a whole chunk of life yeah. we're all blessed in that way to have married our wives young to have uh, grown up together in the Lord, to have experienced and gone through uh, some of the struggles, not just of life, but of pioneering and ministry, but doing it together, uh, you know, it forges a bond that is uh, yeah. unlike any other. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was, uh, you know, as I said, I was 18 when when we married, I was 21 when I went in the ministry. Lisa was 19, mm -hmm. so marrying young, we we didn't have we didn't have unlearning to do. We were not set in our ways. So yeah, it's very uh, you know you talk about growth and development. Uh, choosing Lisa as my wife was the absolute. I had no idea how profound it was, yeah. and so you know of course there was beauty, but I I did choose some spiritual things you know she was on outreach she was involved in ministry i saw her in prayer i wanted to preach and so that's what i wanted you know so but but uh, i had no idea of of how perfect uh she was and how perfect she was for me yeah. and so any anything good in my life you can thank her for because yeah. she had a part in that yeah. you know? so look at look at the segue uh, jesus grew in favor with the Lord. And then Proverbs 18, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing 
and obtains favor from the Lord. And so they are connected in uh, just like the roots of a tree in ways that uh, God really knew what he was doing when he put all of this uh, in place. No, Pastor Greg, far be it for me to project, right? Like, um, but there are many men and women grew up in the ministry. Now, uh, when you went into the ministry, it was, it was probably you know super cool, right? That's Pastor Mitchell's son; he's going into the ministry. Now it's 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 old hat, right? Um, but there's a lot of men and women who are going into the ministry. They've grown up in the ministry and our fellowship and. Um, maybe, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one, but have you ever had a crisis of faith within yourself or even in the ministry, um, where maybe things didn't turn out the way you thought, or you just, you know, like, Hey, I don't, uh, this isn't making sense to me. Has it ever happened to you or is it just me? Well, <clears throat> I, I don't think so much the, uh, never in the, the faith, hmm. but you, you, you talk, uh, there are crisis points. You know, if God has something for you, you know, one of the things that Pastor Warren told me what he wanted, uh, the reason why he wanted me to to speak is, is you know, my life has been a, a blur. I've moved internationally eight times. Mm, mm. I, I life is is you you move, and so uh, since he asked me that, I have been pondering in the last few weeks the different marking points, and there are definite points. So in general, to, to sum up your, your, your question, if God has leadership for you, if he has something great for you, um, you can't enter into leadership without pain. And that, that's just the way it is, you know. As Joseph, the Bible says, whose feet they hurt with fetters. And I think that is a, uh, that's a, a bigger picture. Pain can come in a lot of ways. That's part of the formation one of the great crises for me, as you say, I was the original pastor's kid. Um, from a young age, there there was pain that revolved around other people's reaction to being my father's son. You know, as a as a teenager, I had people come up to me and tell me they've hated me because Pastor Mitch is my dad. Like, I didn't get a vote in that. You know, I mean, like that. But so I, I didn't understand that uh, that people what they have in them affects how they view you. You know, uh, every opportunity, every blessing, every ministry I've been involved in. Of course, I had people say, "You know why he got that? That's because Pastor Mitchell was his dad." You know, mm. first time I ever got in a band, they uh, had a, <laughs> an existing band. Um, they discovered the drummer uh, was still smoking after years of salvation and they thought maybe that's not the best option. So they asked him to step down and they found out I played drums and uh, asked me to be in. And so that was, uh, you know why they got him in the band. It's because Pastor Mitchell was his son. So, you know, that was kind of humorous, but, but that is something, uh, as I said, I didn't realize what is in a person's heart really affects how they view you. Hmm. And, and other people. So I would deal with people who had daddy issues, mm -hmm. people they either never, never had a father, had a bad father. It was like there was something supernatural that they, uh, they would uh, resent me having a good father, you know. I had, I had a guy that he particularly would torment me and I asked his friend one time, I said, why did, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I've never done anything wrong, but why does this guy hate me? It, does, it doesn't seem in line with anything I've done. And, and he said, sibling rivalry. And I said, 
but we're not siblings. And he said, exactly. And that's hmm. the problem. So, you know, you had that. Uh, and then rebellion, those who are rebels against Pastor Mitchell. It's almost like they uh, targeted me. So the reason why I bring that up, that brought mind battles and, and heart problem. I processed that completely incorrectly. And uh, that because how I viewed it was my future can be affected by other people. So God can have something for my life, but because you have a daddy issue or you have a problem, that's gonna stop. I mean, I didn't, pro that just messed with my head. And it, and it was demonic. I mean, in absolutely the devil made sure that I heard every negative comment and, and uh, saw reactions. And so in that sense, the crisis was not in the faith, but the crisis was, can there be a future if Pastor Mitch is my, my, uh, uh, my dad, it's almost like that would be a negative. Maybe it'd be better if he wasn't my dad. And uh, then I could be like everybody else, you know, in, in some way. And I, I think that that probably went on until I was uh, in, you know, I was in ministry, maybe even in uh, 30, in early 30s. And so as part of that, the reason why that's so profound, one is because I'm aggressive by nature. My natural instinct is to want to fight. And I don't mean physically, but just I want to I want to sort this out. And you you realize God engineers things in life that you can't. Your natural anything you do in the natural is not going to work. I'm not going to fix someone who has something in their heart. I can't fix that. So so then I'm forced to God, which is exactly the point. That's good, right? Um, I had a breakthrough. I was actually working on a sermon series about Joseph and, I, and uh, came to the part about him being thrown in the pit. And it, and it was like, like an epiphany. You know, I pastor people who their greatest battle in life is, you know, dad was alcoholic or dad cheated on mom or I never had it. I had a, a wonderful childhood, but it dawned on me, everybody has a pit. Hmm. So that's mine. Hmm. So you didn't have a dad, I did, and it affected me in different ways. So it was, uh, it was freeing. It's like, so therefore, uh, and, and I really genuinely came to the point of my future is not in people's hands. Yes. So I can trust God. And, uh, and something really changed in me. So as far as, uh, you know, that was a significant uh, as, it, as it went on for many years, it was a very significant growth point in my life. You know, you talk about then other things. I had seasons of failure and, of course, um, that were, um, uh, they were good for me. But, you know, it was, uh, yeah, all, everything is for your good. Let me, let me kind of drill down with a, a question here. How did you battle the resentment that resulted from that? Where it, so the, the natural thing is to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go do something else yeah but how 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 do you stay how, how do you not let other people push you off your blessing yeah i mean there's a there's a whole range of it that would be on any given day that might be different you know number one having a good wife that's why she was profound is my wife is not a hateful woman and that is that is ex she's very good for me so uh you you know that's the balance of, of marrying somebody good is that they balance out your weaknesses or your whatever's bothering you so uh, that was one element um my father was wise in that he didn't fight it for me that was something he understood i had to fight for myself 
and uh, you know he would at times would if I came to him and, and was bothered he would give me words of balance but ultimately you I had to decide can God be trusted and, I, and ultimately God is my answer that, that that's the revelation that you have to have is no one can fix it for me and therefore God has to be trusted to work his will so yeah there were times you know there 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 were uh, dark times in in various I'm, I'm giving you of course a, an extreme encapsulation of many many different events but um, some of those would be agonizing but I had to come back again when I was my instinct as you say is like why bother or can it be fixed I had to come back and say no God can be trusted and and I had to work that through for myself because that's such a profound God can be trusted that's why I look back now I thank God for every one of those people I don't I don't say that I want to spend Christmas with them but (laughs) but I thank God I thank God for pinheads because they helped me they really did they were a part of the formation of my character and the formation of my ultimate destiny in God so uh yeah so you have to you have to work that through for yourself you know yeah, I think I learned something, you know, we're talking about a period of many, many years. The one thing I don't do is I don't get involved in gossip, you know, people who have far too much time on their I said, you know, go get a life, you know. And so I've been able to observe, and what you're describing is so... Uh, deep and it's so profound because one of the things you know uh, fault you know false ambition not the noble ambition of first timothy one three one uh, is uh, very much in people's uh, hearts because you know i was privy to hearing some of the things just like you said that uh, came back to you. And, you know, what I want for anyone is I want them to experience God's very best. I don't care who they are. That's the that's what my heart uh, beats. And I realize that, uh, that, you know, people can speak from a place of uh, it's envy and ambition, and it isn't uh, motivated by... You know, how can we best advance the kingdom of God? And there's a lot of presumption there, and that is that you mentioned, that's a great word, pinhead, is that uh, our puny little minds can grasp all that God's doing or that we assume, yeah, I have it all figured out. So, you know, in some ways we're able to sit here today and kind of laugh and think you know you know god's vindicated and etc but i can i can feel your heart that that was not an easy thing to go through yeah yeah and i don't think it'd been easy for any i I was remembering just to maybe uh, bring it on to a, a happier note uh on a number of occasions your dad and I have talked and I remember that he 
specifically said that an important quality that a leader must have uh, involves some kind of missionary experience. And so your early pioneer days were in Australia, uh, but uh, this isn't like, you know, in Greg's life, he checks off the box, okay, missionary experience, missionary labor, done, I fulfilled that. But, uh, you know, I'd like to know just about your calling to South Africa, where you did serve as a missionary, you did establish a mother church there, how that all came about. Um, yeah, to, to understand that, I, 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 again, if I go back a little bit before that, um, you know, you, you talked about, uh, ambition. I, in, in pioneering, of course I was American, but I didn't view that as being a missionary. I was fully, uh, adapted to the Aussie culture, but, um, God blessed us. And so of course, with blessing, uh, the danger of that is, uh, is pride. And so ultimately on down the road is I took a church that I, uh, you know, I, I knew God wanted me to go back to Australia, but part of that was in, in I knew there was gonna be a, a, a position with it. And by that time, that's, I wanted that. And uh, um, ministry was was in some ways about me not others so it was the best thing for me it was a two-year butt kicking and i supplied the butt and so uh god absolutely would not let me win and uh, very healthy because it absolutely i had a life reassessment and so i reassessed myself to where i said i don't ever want to be like that again so in uh from that i wound up going back to Australia again. I resigned that place. Two years later, I went back on the other side of town, another church with no position. And uh, that was part of a growth uh, process for me. And I had been there only five months and God spoke to me the clearest ever in my life. When Lisa and I were, were uh, teenagers, one of the early conferences, one of the early conference videos, God spoke to us and God said, I want you to go to Africa. I didn't realize at the time, Lisa didn't tell me, God actually told her South Africa. I didn't mm. know that. So now years later, I'm in my office at night rejoicing. God was doing good things. We just had a revival. And God spoke to me and said, I want you to go to South Africa. I mean, it was so clear. I went in and said, Lisa, God just told me we're supposed to go to South Africa. And she said, okay, but we just got here. I don't think that's now. And so I said, okay. That was one of the times I listened and said, all right, I just put it on the shelf and then God brought it out. So uh, in, in time, it became clear that it was time for us to go and uh, went to uh, South Africa, which is a profound, um, it is so helpful in formation. We loved South Africa. It was, it was so healthy uh, for us in cracking the culture code, being in a completely foreign environment, Cracking the culture code is, is trying to work out, you're not just preaching the gospel, to be effective is 
how do these people think? What motivates them? What's their greatest fear? What, what, is, what is their greatest passion? In order to preach the gospel effectively, and then, of course, dealing with uh, South Africa, the, the incredible racism that is in every culture. It was cemented and uh, for between not only races, but, but tribes. And then you have to learn how to, you know, to stand against that. It was very much expected that you are going to have a one race church. And I rejected that. And uh, we are going to build on all races and everyone will be in ministry. We're not going to limit that. That was, that was profound. Um, it was, uh, it was, um, working with different wings of the fellowship. There were so many, I can't remember at one time we had like 23 or 25 different missionaries from all different wings. And so I'd, I'd love to believe that everybody does everything just for Jesus, but uh, you have people, you know, counting how many from my wing of the fellowship or my nation are preaching and, you know, trying to work. How do we be effective working that through? That was, that was very, very help, helpful for me. But uh, leadership there began just in a, in a service role, is they needed uh, someone to organize pastors' meetings and, and whatever. So I began to just fulfill that. We were the first one to plant uh, workers out. And so God's great blessing in that way. But it became clear to me that, that God was leading me for a leadership role, which at that time, that actually was a crisis. So from back, back from being ambitious, that had changed to where now I did not have, I didn't trust myself. I didn't have confidence. So now I understood that people are, they're literally going to, they're gonna order their life on my words. I'm gonna give advice and they are going to base life and ministry. That was just a weight. And I said, I just don't think I can do that. I honestly, I, I, you know, and again, God met with me, you know, Psalm 144.1. And I read and God spoke to me that, that he made my hands to war. He taught my fingers to fight, you know. So God's gonna, gonna help me uh, in that way. And so, um, yeah, just being a missionary was just absolutely formational and, uh, and very profound in all the different things as far as are you going to give in to culture? Are you going to be able to understand culture to minister effectively? Why are you here? Is it to gather a crowd? Is it to make disciples? Those are lessons and you, you just, you, you work it through. I mean, there was intense uh supernatural battles that i had to fight as you've heard my stories the uh, first man i met that was a very helpful instrumental was a witch doctor which yeah yeah and so you're you're fighting apart from any of the pressures of ministry and and all that you have all of these things that again every it forces you to god it forces you to god it forces you to god and so um in that i i I have received impartation from my father, but is, the mission heart is something that I wanted. Said so that is something I am going after. I am seeking, and uh, I mean, I am a missionary at heart, and it, it is, uh, it's in my blood, you know. So at the at the end of that, I we we spent seven and a half years there. I never thought I'd leave. Actually, I I, I was 
we loved it so much, but I began to feel uh, very unsettled that I had felt before. I knew God wanted me to do something else, which wasn't really on my agenda and uh, didn't know what. And so uh, kind of a, a funny story, we, Robert Polacco and I went to uh, have his car worked on by a mechanic. Mechanic is, he's talking to us, he's an Afrikaner and he's uh, hearing our accents. So why are you here? We're missionaries, we're preachers and that. And he told us his, his daughter was a diplomat in Turkey and he looked right at me and he said, you need to be in Turkey. He didn't say that to Robert, he said it to me. So I'm already feeling unsettled. And so I did not want to go to, I mean, there's no interest in Turkey in my heart at that time. So Robert is like, ha ah, Greg, you got to go to Turkey. It's like, and so I come home and I tell Lisa, Lisa, you're not going to believe what happened. This guy, and he said, you need to go to Turkey. She said, Greg, I was praying this morning and God spoke to me and said, we're supposed to go to Turkey. And I'm like, oh. no, <laughs> this is not yeah. good. So I, I called dad thinking that he would say, don't be stupid, you're already overseas. And he said, could be God, you should go look. And I'm like, great. Because I, I I, there was nothing in me that wanted to do that. And I was a genuine wrestling, I'll never forget. I'm flying British Airways from Johannesburg to, to uh, Turkey and I'm wrestling with God. I said, God, I don't want to go to Turkey. I'm, I'm going to have a look, but this is, this is not at all what I want to do. But I genuinely on that plane, it was like I made that plane an altar. And I said, if you want me to go to Turkey, I'm willing to go. I'll do it. And so I uh, landed, spent some time looking around, just uh, saw that. And I felt God speak to me. This is not what I have for you. Hmm. So it was almost like it was a, it was a test yeah more than anything just am i now now i'm on down the road now ministry all the different things am i still willing to do what god said so i uh i told dad that and then it was just some weeks later we had uh, had a conference and that was when he asked me to come to prescott and then began to and what year was that uh 2004 2004 yeah, I re that uh, uh, it's hard for me to dates because there's something about our lives that are so full uh, that it's like one gigantic orb of experience of God's grace and God's moving, but. What you described is really a perfect segue into the scripture that uh, we're looking at because it says that Jesus grew in favor with the Lord. And so I'm sure that you uh, share this, but uh, favor represents such a crucial dimension to uh, anyone's life because it really speaks about the divine influence over or upon a person's life. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, people would pray, if I have found favor in your sight, uh, the New Testament, uh, the word grace is the word for grace, uh, but it is a word that is wrapped up in destiny because when the angel 
came to Mary and visited this young Hebrew girl uh, with the most mind-boggling announcement that's ever been made. He began with greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. In other words, he's announcing that this is going to be a demonstration of God's uh, favor, and he actually, to uh, confront fear, he reminded her and said, you have found favor with the Lord, that there's, you know, uh, probably if you would ask me, what is one of the keys to confidence in life? It is favor, and, and favor isn't something I've earned, I've deserved, hey, look at me. It's just that reality that, you know what, God is with me. He's directing my steps. My life uh, is not an accident. And so, you know, I can say very honestly, I can look at your life and I can see the evidence of God's favor over a long period of time. That's why I asked when that uh, offer 2004 was. So that's essentially 16 years ago. Uh, and so when you're in South Africa or living in Australia, you're far removed, but I've had 16 years and this is not sucking up. <laughs> But I've seen the evidence of God's favor uh, over a long period of time. And so I'm curious because, you know, now we're moving from, uh, you know, the original question of conversion, giving your life to Jesus, the calling to preach and how you wrestled through things with that. You have the struggles of pioneering that every pioneer goes through. You have the uh, added element of uh, genuine missionary experience. And, uh, you know, when you said that, it reminded me I've never been uh, overseas there are probably some limitations that would make it difficult but it's a strange thing when I hear a national anthem from any country there's something in me that is deeply uh, moved and so you've had all of these experiences now you're in Prescott and uh, you know Knowing you, I don't believe your mindset is, all right, I'm back in Prescott because I'm going to become the big kahuna. Uh, but, you know, what were areas or did you begin to recognize areas where God's favor really was present in your life? continuing that shaping process because none of us are finished products, but where you became very much aware that this is an expression of God's favor in preparing me. Uh, yeah, that, that, that comes 
that comes over time. You know, when Dad told me in 2004, asked me to come to Prescott, and at that time he told me uh, of his plans for succession, that, that uh, he, had, he had prayed, he gave me his reasons why, and uh, asked me if I'd be willing to do that. So, number one, you have to understand, you could have knocked me over with a feather. That was not on my agenda in any way, shape, or form. Uh, actually, when, when God told me that, that uh, he didn't want me to go to Turkey, we began making plans, maybe we'll pioneer in Miami or something. So when he told me that, that was so far removed, I actually never believed that that would come true. I'm looking at, you know, I have had intimate connection with him and knowing what's involved in leadership. So I was like, that's, that's so far removed from me. Like, okay, you know, I, I respected his word. And if you, if you say so, but honestly, I, I, and I told him, I said, look, if you ever change your mind, let me know. You won't offend me because I don't actually believe it'll become true anyway. You know, so I, I, I seriously thought at some point that he would say, um, uh, you know, I found somebody better or, or, or something. But my point was when he asked me, he was uh, a few weeks short of 76 years old. So I saw he needs someone to serve him. So I said, look, I'll come. And my mindset was, I am going to serve my father, my mom in certain elements, the thing that she needed, I'm gonna serve my mom and I'm gonna serve the Prescott Church. I, I told the people in Prescott, I am here to make his life easier, period. Anything I can do, I'll do all the duties that you tell me and then I will find ways to be a blessing. And that was uh, absolutely my uh, I said, look, I'll let the future take care of itself. I mean, whatever. And if he changes his mind, I'll, I'll do something else and that'll be fine. But in the meantime, he's getting older. I can bless his life. And that was my entire uh, mindset. When you talk about favor, favor is something that I think favor, of course, uh, is, is mysterious. I've asked, at least I've had conversations like, why have we been so blessed? It's not like I'm a better human being. I know better men than me. So, you know, in, in one sense, there's a, there's a mystery. God, God has chosen. The second thing, I think favor, it really does come out of your viewpoint of God in many ways. And so like you're saying, you have been favored. I, I view God as being good. And I've, of course, gone through battles to where I have confidence in, in God in that way. Then favor, when you talk about favor with God and with man, I think that God, it, 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 they actually go hand in hand. And I think one is that when people see that it's about service and not ambition, that actually gives you, that gives them confidence in you. And uh, you know, the people in Prescott, they saw that dad needed someone to serve him. And when they heard, this is where I'm coming from, that's why I'm here, I think that gave them confidence. And then you see favor, um, you gain favor with people uh, partly as they see you make right decisions. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, God arranges circumstances. Do you make the right decision? And, and I see, um, you know, from the moment I came, dad would involve me in every, every decision, every problem. 
And I think one of the things that he was looking for is he was looking for instincts. You can't teach instincts, right? You can, you can get better at, at something, but do, I don't mean you never make a mistake, but does someone instinctively, they lean toward the right path, you know? So uh, he involved me, he gave me genuine um, uh, responsibility. I, the moment I came, I took over essentially all discipleship. Mm-hmm. That was entirely my focus. Church planting was entirely my decision. And then over time it became then world evangelism. All decisions, they, they you know, in, in that sense, my, my father, he, uh, I was very glad he had a very enjoyable period of life. He had no responsibility. Yeah. He made maximum impact traveling and touching men on the field in a wider sense in conferences and didn't have to worry about the, he didn't have to counsel and didn't have to make decisions, didn't have to worry about things. So th- that was very good. Um, and then I think people see it. A, a crucial thing that happened was, of course, we had, a, we had rebellion dr- brewing in Australia and dad and I had many conversations. It was agonizing for me because it's my home church that I was sent from. Uh, our family was there, our friends. It was agonizing to see what was happening. A man was clearly leading them away. And so the, what we discussed many times is dad, dad would say, what, what can we do? And I said, if anybody else takes it, it's going to be a bloodbath. And I said, dad, you're the only one who can take it. And he's like, you know, he was, he was pushing 80 by that point. He's like, I just don't think I can. So, but in circumstances, God worked it supernaturally. And he said, yes. So now everything fell on me. Uh, because of the time difference, if guys had a, had a problem or a need, it wasn't easy to get a hold of him. So by, by f- they had to come to me in some ways. Whereas you, you understand human nature. I've never worried about that. There are guys in the church is like they would rather counsel Pastor Mitchell. They, you know, they would rather ask whatever. You, you got to let that happen in time. So now people are forced. So I think in the Prescott Church, number one, they saw that the church didn't fall apart which is that gives them confidence is like, Hey, this is not so bad. And then they saw when he came back, dad has told many people when I went to Australia, he was there for six months. He said, I gave the reins to Greg. And he said, when I came back, I never took him back. So there was a natural thing where, where it's like, no, ask, ask Greg. So, um, you know, that's a natural sense, but, but when you talk about favor, I began to, to sense the favor of God. I could say something, maybe it was something that I had said years ago, even as a pioneer, but now when I said it, it was like it made impact. It wasn't like it was as, you know, God gave me a revelation on the Nephilim that I had never thought of, you know. <laughs> but, but it was, that's favor with people is that they listen to your words. They, they act on your word. They trust your word. And that is a supernatural dimension. That's, as I say, there has to be a natural. They have to see it. They, they have to gain confidence in that way. But, but that's something only God can do. And, that's, and that comes out of wisdom. I think my number one prayer, if you hear me pray in the morning, I begin and I pray more than anything else for wisdom. Is that God, you have to help me. Because I need help in this. Yeah, the the beautiful thing of what we're talking about is how, you know, 
I can see the orchestration of God's hand through all of this uh, and uh, knowing uh, that uh, gives uh, great confidence and it's not an accident that uh, and I don't know when exactly this happened let's say it's somewhere between the in the last 10 years uh, your dad was very very vocal about and he would say it over and over again that this fellowship is not uh, if you think we built this or this is somehow a work of man you're you're crazy this is and he would emphasize that dimension of this is God's work it is his favor and uh, uh, he made that very very and and it was almost like he felt that uh, he had to communicate that and get that out to people so that they would see wait a minute yes this really is something that God has done is doing and is going to continue to do and it is an expression of his uh, favor so the reason you know one of the reasons i asked you the question is obviously uh, i'm i rejoice at uh, god's uh, favor uh, in and upon your life but uh, uh, i don't know how old you would have been this is actually pre-conference it wasn't uh, for the whole church it was for the very few uh, pioneering couples that were out I can remember that we filled the first uh, number of rows in the Ruth Street uh, building but uh, there was a man speaking that you know Dick Mills and so along with preaching the word of God one of the uh, gifts in his life is that he would give words of wisdom but they wouldn't just be you know generalized you know yea the Lord's going to bless you etc he would give actual scripture verses uh, mean hundreds and hundreds of him uh, of them and so I do remember back and that's why favor is so precious to me because uh, favor even when we make mistakes uh, you know we need favor is that dick mills in his uh, ministry to me gave me either three or four verses and every one of them had to do with favor and so you know i look back uh, you know i've been saved it will be uh this november 50 years <laughs> 50 years when i walked into the uh prescott church and so you know uh, it's like uh, uh in the book of uh, zechariah that they're going to lay the capstones with shoutings of grace grace just to to sit and realize that our lives are really the product 
Yes, we make right decisions, we obey God, but they really are the product, and this is our entire fellowship of the favor of God. Uh, hopefully, in people, it creates a sense of gratitude. Um, you know, if you take the parallel uh, in our national conversation and some of the things that are going on nationally, there's such a lack of gratitude, whether it's towards uh, history and the tearing down of statues. I don't even know who the statue is. It's just a statue. But the incredible lack of, of gratitude, and I think uh, you can transfer that over, that one of the things that I think will help us in our future is understanding God's grace, His favor, that we are all, in our different spheres, uh, products of, uh, just like it says, Jesus grew in uh, favor with the Lord. That's, uh, that's our lives in, in a sentence locally. Um, and by the time people see and hear this, we will have broken ground on uh, our new building. So we're about a year, year and a half behind uh, the uh, construction in Prescott. So I just thought as an aside, is there any perspective? Because uh, we began this podcast as a way, first of all, to stay connected with our local congregation when coronavirus is doing its thing. Uh, is there any word of uh, perspective that you can give in, you know, we're looking at the final push. Uh, it's on. I mean, it's it, it's happening. So, just as someone who's gone through the process, uh, <laughs> anything that you have to say to me or to our congregation that uh, is going to—I know it's spiritual. It's always far more spiritual than we realize. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's. Uh you are enlarging, making room for God, you know. Uh, what do you have to say? Is what, what Dad said, it always will take longer than you think, cost yes, more than cost you think. Cost more, yes. <laughs> and be more trouble than you yes, think. Yes. <laughs> those are the negatives. Yes. But we have to go through those for, uh, yeah, we're, we're making room. I, I think in, in one sense, you, you uh, in building, building a building is, of course, you, you need it, you meet a need, but it's also actually a statement of faith, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so we are by faith saying God is going to do something bigger than we, we are currently experiencing now. Yeah, and so. the irony of doing it in the midst of uh, coronavirus is not lost on me. There's been lots of times where thoughts have come like, what in the world are you doing? But the interesting thing is while everything else has been, you know, turned upside down, that aspect of all the process, et cetera, has been extremely smooth. And so uh, I am uh, uh, glad for that. Uh, the final question that I had is that uh, there is no question 
that the last six months has been really unlike anything we've seen or experienced before. You did your first uh, virtual uh, Bible conference. Uh, we did a hybrid type. Uh, and so when you mentioned your prayer for wisdom, uh, the companion verse that I think uh, all of us have been praying is, God, give me understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so I thought, you know what? Greg's here with us. This would be a great opportunity to talk about the future. None of us have a, a crystal ball or anything like that, but maybe to close on, you know, what is it that concerns you? And then the flip side, what is it that encourages you? Well, concern, of course, always uh, any, any movement. Uh, drift is always our greatest, uh, that's the greatest enemy of any move of God is that we drift away from, um, from what brought us to this point. And so all of us have to battle that through in our own minds. You know, I preach on that at conference, but uh, that we are, we have something that is of God is, is proven that we have to hold to and not drift from, that we need reminders of where we came from. So that, that of course, drift, you know, I mean, that can be in a hundred different ways and, and whatever. What I personally am, am looking for, I am believing and seeing the insanity of the of, of the days in which we live, I am believing for another supernatural revival of God Amen. that is national, that is even international. You, you see the parallels of what was going on in America when the Jesus movement broke out, and it, it's uncanny how many similarities there are. And in the, in the turmoil, it's, it's maddening to uh, to see on the, on the one sense, but on the other hand, when I see all of this turmoil is that, uh, my, my prayer is that this is going to cause nationally people to say, we can't continue like this and that there be an openness. So in our, in our fellowship is that we have continued. We are now exponentially uh, we're at, you know, 2,760, I think, in, in churches. And so now we are exponentially planting churches. But the point of that is not just pins on a map or names on a list. The point of that is having people positioned to maintain harvest. Yes. And that is what, in whatever form, whatever God brings, that we, if God gives us the wisdom, I think one of the things of wisdom is that we be able to retain the move of God. If God brings a genuine move of God, we won't be the only church that will be blessed. It will be all across, but will they be able to hold on to it? And I think that we are uniquely positioned if we learn the lessons. I am believing God for an incredible wave of revival. It will not just be, yeah, we're planting more and more. I'm, that's what I'm looking for. And in my spirit, when I, when I see all of the connections, when I see lawlessness 
connected with the end times and all of the things, I am believing that this is God's preparation, certainly nationally and no doubt worldwide. He's preparing us for a wave of revival. So that is what I'm really looking for in our, our fellowship. You made the statement about being able to retain and the scripture picture in my mind is when they uh, were fishing and they uh, gathered a huge uh, catch of fish and they said to their brothers, come over and help us. Uh, this is a good time to say, you know what, we're here to help you. And uh, I know it's vice versa to retain whatever harvest uh, that God has for us, uh, that God, you're able to supersede, to transcend uh, all of this and speak to the emptiness of uh, people's uh, hearts and people's uh, lives. So uh, I uh, can say amen and amen to that. And uh, that... Uh, you start talking about that it does that's one of the things that makes you get up in the morning and yeah look at your day with uh, hope and promise yeah I mean I, I think it, it was amazing to hear Pastor Greg in his own words just talk about his his own journey as to you know how, how it started how he's how he's here now and all these different things because I think one of the lies from Hill is that everybody's experience is so unique and the truth is it's not in that we all like uh, like New Testament talks about there's there's nothing uncommon to man where we all go through the same things the only difference is is how do we handle it and like Pastor Mitchell says it's not what happens to you but how you how you handle what happens to you and just hearing what what Pastor Pastor Greg talked uh, talking about these things it helped me to put my own life in in context where um you know maybe I'm, I'm i'm a fool well i am but just thinking well you know he went through that too that's that's amazing um so it, it's 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 very powerful to hear that and i think anyone who who listens to this podcast or watches this podcast would, would do well to, to 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 internalize a lot all of it yeah absolutely so we just uh, want to thank you again, and we're actually going to eat a very good lunch, which will go in the power of into our Wednesday night midweek service. The strength of that meat. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. There we go. That's great. I, I, I enjoyed that. You know, I was, what's the, the old quote is that life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. Yes. So that's, that's helpful when you ask that. Uh, you know, these are things that I've... I've experienced and I've known but when you sit down and think what is it that God has done that's a healthy thing mm. that's a very healthy thing I'm, I'm, I'm amazed I, I see in um, uh, you know I, I see parallels in my own life with with Joseph and and uh, you know when he's getting the blessing from uh, from his father as you have the the blessing that the uh, archers shot at him, but then it's all about God. His bow remained in strength. His uh, hands were made strong by the mighty hands of Jacob, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, and the blessings that are run over the wall. I think, looking back, I, it is unbelievable when you see everything was of God. And, and, and that's why it gives, you know, we talk about the future, that's, that gives me confidence. If he's so smart, 
to uh, bring me all the way uh, even to this point, man. And he's going to help us through. Yes, he is. Whatever's going to come. So yes, I'm looking forward to it. So thank you for having me. Amen. Wow, what a blessing to have Pastor Mitchell with us today to hear his story and his voice. Next week, we're going to finish this huge segment on Jesus grew, how Jesus grew socially, how he grew rationally. So we're looking forward to U.S. Army veteran Wesley Pinnock, who is pioneering in Long Beach, California. And we're going to be looking at building a culture of trust just from his perspective as well. So please watch us on YouTube, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you turn on your notifications so you know when our next episode drops. And we will see you next week. God bless.